are listening to the Innovo Podcast, a ministry of Innovo Vineyard Church in Wichita, Kansas. To learn more about Innovo, you can visit us online at innovovineyard.com. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. We're in a series called Thriving in Transition, and we're, we're talking about um, how change can be scary, but God brings us into times of change to work His purposes in us. It, it, it can be unsettling and a little unstable feeling, but sometimes in times of change, it's the only time that we can receive certain things from the Lord. And I believe that times of change, whether it's a job or relationship or location or whatever it is, can be a time when we just don't survive, but we can thrive in times of transition. We can, we can just really hit our stride in those times. So we're, we're, we're hanging out talking about this. Uh, one of the things that helps us in transition, and, and really all the time, but especially in transition, is being in real community. In real community. Sharing life with people that we're close to. Now, we've got community in different places. Uh, family. We can have community in friendships. Uh, teams. Close work relationships. Uh, a marriage. But God made us for community. He made us to, to be together, to walk together, to share life, and to be close with each other. And perhaps no community is more precious and necessary for growth and for peace than spiritual community, our church family. It's very important. Now, it's funny, people, uh, they attend church casually today for the most part in our society. Uh, big churches are attractive because you can come and hear a good sermon and get a donut and coffee, which you can get here too. Uh, sing a song, and, but not be in community. Not be in community. People change churches like they change their underwear sometimes, which I hope is a lot. Uh, <laughs> you know? But it's, it's, church is talked about as a place to attend and not a place to belong. And in doing this, you miss what's important, which is real spiritual community. And really think about it. What a, what a blessing to, be, to do life with people, to be in community with people that you know them and they know you. They know your name when you walk in the door. They love you. They like you too. <laughs> place where you're prayed for and valued and you belong. And a place where you can con- you're free to contribute and speak and make a difference. I think God made us for this. God designed us for community. And it's a mystery, but even God himself lives in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a dynamic relationship and conversation that's taking place that I can't even begin to understand what all that is about. But he draws us into it because community, we were made for community and that's who he is. Now, being in community, real community, isn't easy. It's a process. <laughs> Take some work. You got to trust and you have to be trusted. There's some vulnerability because you have to start showing who, who you really are. Church can be one of the most fake places on the planet on Sunday morning because we want people to see who we want them to see and not who we really are. But there's a freedom when we can just be ourselves and know that we're still going to be liked. <laughs> Coming with our questions and our doubts and our challenges and our rough edges, and it's okay, you know. Um, but we, in real community, we submit to each other. This is not something you hear talked about in church a lot. We submit to each other in real community. In a real marriage, you submit to each other. There's a head, but there's mutual submission. Uh, same thing with the church. In, 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 in church, you have a, a pastor and leaders, and there's principles of the house where you come to church at. Not every church teaches exactly the same. You know, we all we want to teach the Word and base everything on the Word of God, obviously. But the Word of God is taught in a certain way in each church, and there's a comfort to that in a, in a, in a submission. You don't have to agree with everything. Um, we give financially, and we support in our community. It's an interesting principle. The Bible says, where your treasure is, your heart is. And I've noticed that people who don't give, and I don't tell you how much to give, but people that don't give, their heart is never in a community. There's usually a correlation where people are attending church, but their heart's not there, and they're not investing in that because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Kind of an interesting uh, observation about that. Uh, financial giving, no matter how small, knits us into a community. And there should be freedom to ask questions and be ourselves. 
Walking in real community can be hard and painful, but the risk to be in community is worth it. It's worth it. Now, I want to talk today about one of the biggest challenges to being in community, because it's work and it's, it's hard, and that is overcoming offense. In any true community, it's easy to get offended. In a marriage, in a church, in a friendship, the closer you get, the more impact that an offense has on you. Now, in church, we bump elbows, step on each other's toes, we get impatient with each other, um, we get frustrated, we have different ideas of how things should be, how they should go, we have expectations for each other that aren't always met. <laughs> um, it could be easy to get annoyed or even to become resentful. You ever see a family and they just, you could just, there's deep resentment towards each other because expectations aren't met and I'm not being treated right and it gets, gets deep. There can be real and perceived insults in real community. <laughs> and we've all experienced it, haven't we? Have, have you ever been offended? Of course. It's, it's hard to miss it. <laughs> but here's the thing. This issue of overcoming offense is the most difficult obstacle an individual faces to stay in community. It's the most difficult obstacle. It's hard. Um, Jesus addresses with his disciples. Why don't we stand and we'll read this together. Luke 17, 1 through 4. Nick, you always do a good job if you wouldn't mind reading for us. Luke 17, 1 through 4. Now he said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to one for whom they come. It is better for him if a millstone is hung around his neck and he is thrown into the sea that, than that he may cause one of these little ones to sin. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. All right, thank you. You may be seated. There's some hard issues of community in that little passage. <laughs> now it says stumbling blocks will come. What's a stumbling block? What's a stumbling block? Something you stumble over, <laughs> something you trip over. It it's really means an offense. And the Lord Jesus says there are offenses that will come into your life in the context of community, any community, any deep relationship that you can trip over. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Uh, you can be offended by those in your spiritual community. You can be offended by a leader, pastor, government leader. We're never offended by government leaders, are we? <laughs> uh, teachers, a parent. How many people are offended by their parents? Uh, a boss. You can be offended by a friend or neighbor. You could be offended by the Lord. It's one we don't like to talk about. Does God always meet our expectations? Depends what your expectations are. <laughs> The Lord Jesus regularly offended people <laughs> all the time. It's kind of funny. The religious leaders, the crowd, even his own disciples. You know, and the disciples saw a lot of miracles that Jesus did, and that wasn't really, it didn't, stretch, it didn't stretch them as much as his command to love your enemies and forgive people. That, that offended them. That was hard for them. They, they were like, really? <laughs> you know? Um, and offenses will come. It's going to happen again and again. You don't have to look for it. Someone's going to say something, they're going to ignore you or overlook you or hurt you. There's real abuse all over the place, and there's opportunities for our pride to be insulted. And not experiencing, not, uh, experiencing offense is impossible, so we've got to learn to deal with it. Because learning to overcome offense will be one of the main determinators of your future. One of your ability to overcome offense will be one of the main things that determines your future and where you're headed. So let's look at how this works today. I want to kind of dig into this a little bit. Now, uh, maybe as we're talking about this, maybe you'll think of a time that you've been offended by somebody. That's okay. That's, it's gonna, things will pop into your head as we talk about this because it's real and it's about daily life. Um, so an offense comes to us, real or perceived, it comes. There's pain, there's embarrassment, there's, there's shock, 
uh, at first there's real emotion. Uh, we process it. Okay, how am I supposed to feel about this? We process it with others, which can be good or bad. Then we make a decision about how we should feel about it. Um, if you've been hurt before in the same way, it's easy to take it up pretty quickly. But how we respond to the offense is what's important. We can choose to take it up or we can choose to forgive it and overlook it. Now, when we forgive offenses, it allows us to agree and partner with the Lord and move forward. It gives God an opportunity to work in our hearts and to love our offender. But when we take it up and hold on to it and don't let it go, it causes resentment and anger in our lives. And it's hard. In fact, I'd say um, taking up an offense and holding on to it it's the number one tool of the enemy that takes people out of God's place for them and out of their calling. I've seen it all my life with people, even before I was a pastor. I've got a, a, a friend, he was my, my pastor, kind of mentored me for a while, and great youth pastor, we owned a recording studio together, he, uh, he was a baseball player, and, but he was estranged from his dad. And he never talked about his dad. And then one, all of a sudden, he gets a notice from his dad down in Tennessee that he is, he is dying and wants to make amends and wants to get back together. We've heard stories like that before. So he, to his credit, my friend, reconnected with his dad and they had time to talk and forgave each other and move forward. And, and the time they had together at the end was, was really precious and good. And I was able to attend, even attend his funeral down in Chattanooga um, when, when, he actually, when he passed away with, with my friend. And it was interesting. My friend was a baseball player and obviously a church attender because he was a pastor. And the dad one day was just talking and saying, I used to play baseball. In fact, I used to, I used to play baseball at church, he said. And my friend like, what? You went to church? He said, yeah. In fact, I was in charge of the entire baseball ministry at our church. We use baseball to reach people as an outreach. And I was in charge of it. And my friend just couldn't believe it because he, he played kind of semi-pro ball. And he said, well, what happened? He said, well, I don't, it's hard to talk about, but some decisions were made I didn't agree with, and I left. And I never played baseball again, and I never went to church again. <laughs> and all these years were stolen from him because of offense. It could have been a real offense. It could have been something that was not, not good at all. He wouldn't say what it was. It could have been a perceived offense but it caused him to, to leave and to step out of what God had for him. The, the Greek word for stumbling block or offense is scandalon. Scandalon. It's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. And it's actually a snare or a trap for animals. In fact, it's actually where the bait for the trap was put. There was a thing in the trap called a scandalon. You would put the bait on the trap and an animal would come along, see the bait, take it, and then be caught in the trap. And animals would be sold or killed and eaten. So when an animal sees or smells the bait, they have to make a decision whether to walk away from the bait or to step into it and get caught by the trap. And when they move forward and take the bait, then they're in trouble. And a trap, I'm not, I'm not a trapper, but a trap has two things that it needs to, to have to be successful. It has to be hidden and it has to have bait, okay? If the trap was obvious, uh, nobody would take the bait. You know, nobody would go for it. It would be easy to avoid. But it comes in hidden places that we don't expect. And I would say that those hidden places are often our, our closest relationships is where the trap is hidden. Uh, if a stranger offended us, we might be angry. There, somebody cut you off at work or on, on the highway. Somebody cut you off. There was a road rage shooting incident last night. There's real anger out there and, and real offense that takes place. But if it happened from a stranger, you're kind of like, yeah, okay. You get mad, but you get over it. If it happens from an acquaintance, it's not good, but you just learn to kind of avoid that acquaintance and you get on. But when it happens from a person that's close to us, that we care about and they care about us, uh, it's harder to overcome. The, the bait is a perceived or real offense. 
Uh, it's not deadly if it stays in the trap. What happens is when we come up to the trap and we reach out and we take it and we pick it up and we consume it and we feed on it and then we become offended. Now this is why it's so deadly. This is why offense is such a problem for us. Um, number one is this, taking up an offense separates us from others. It causes a separation. Proverbs 18, 19. A brother who is offended is harder to be one than a strong city. Now, that's a pretty strong statement. A brother who is offended is stronger, is harder to be one than a strong city. And quarrels are like the bars of a citadel. Okay? Now, what do ancient cities have around them usually, if they're a big city? They have walls. Okay? What, what's, the, what's the purpose of the walls? Keep the bad people out. Let the good people, let the good people in, okay? Uh, entrance are screened, especially in a time of war or suspicion. Uh, when we're hurt, we tend to construct walls to safeguard our hearts. We all do it. Um, we, we're trying to prevent wounds. That's, that's how we live through life. People go through life, they're trying to prevent being hurt. And um, we become selective. We deny entry to people that we think have the potential to hurt us. We open up our lives to people who we think are on our side. Often when we've been offended, we let people in who have also been offended, and they actually add bricks to our walls sometimes. <laughs> but offended people always filter things through past hurts, and Christians who are offended often use Scripture verses to back up their position. It just happens. But uh, a person who gets offended tends to become very self-focused. If I'm focusing on who's going to hurt me and who's not going to hurt me, I am, I am, I'm drawing into myself and I become more self-focused. And betrayal is actually, we become so self-focused that I will, I will risk losing you or taking advantage of you to protect myself. And that's really the essence of betrayal for the sake of protection. Number two, uh, taking up an offense blocks the healing that we need a lot of times in our life. We all need healing, don't we? We're all a mixed bag. We all have problems. We all have hurts and habits and hang-ups. A lot of times we don't even know what they are. Sometimes we know what they are, but a lot of times we don't know what they are. First Peter 2 says this, 23 through 25, talking about the Lord Jesus as our example. And while being abusively insulted, how was he insulted? Abusively. <laughs> he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself brought our sins in his body up on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you are healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls." I love that it says that he himself brought our sins in his body up on the cross. It's kind of a neat picture. But the Lord Jesus' response to abusive insults and harm is our example. He didn't insult in return, did he? He didn't threaten, but what did he do? How did he respond? It says he laid it down and entrusted himself to who? To the Lord. He so said, God, I put myself in your care. I'm going to trust you. See, when you take up an offense and you hold on to it, you carry it everywhere you go, and others see it <laughs> a lot of times. It's, it's big, and it's uncomfortable, and it's sore. You ever touch somebody, and you think it's just, it's just a little, little fun or a little poke or a little love tap, but you hit a nerve. Oh, yeah. And man, there is something that happens. You know, that's because of, of offense and wounds that we carry a lot of times. You think it was innocent, but man, the, the, the reaction to what I thought was something simple or even playful was a lot bigger than what I expected to happen sometimes. Um, it's oversensitive. But when we set it down, that's when healing comes. I think all healing flows out of forgiveness. I'll say this again. I think all healing flows out of forgiveness. When we learn to respond like Jesus to offense, there's a flow of life that affects everything. But forgiveness is the key. A lot of times in, you know, 
everything I'm saying to you, I've been through and dealt with myself and I'm dealing with some myself. But a lot of times when, when people, there's some, some habitual or continual area where healing is not coming. And don't put that on yourself. I'm not talking about, you know, if, if you've not been getting healing, sometimes we persevere and we wait and we pray. But sometimes it's a forgiveness issue. Sometimes we've been holding on to something for years and years and years and years that someone has done to us, often it's mom or dad, or something that happened years and years and years ago, and we never laid it down, we hold on to it, it becomes a block to the healing that God wants to bring into our lives. That forgiveness is the key. Uh, all healing flows out of forgiveness. Now, it takes time to overcome an offense, doesn't it? We don't just naturally, oh, I forgive you, everything's okay, and we're good on the inside. Sometimes it's a long process. Depending on the degree of the hurt, it can take a, lot, a long time to work through some things that have been done to us. Sometimes we need prayer. Sometimes we need professional counseling to work through some things. I mean, there's some, some things that there have been some, depending on the, the size of the abuse and the insult, it can take some time. Um, but I believe when we move towards the Lord, we talk to Him about it. Remember last week we talked about when you're mad at God, tell Him. Don't, don't hide how you feel from the Lord. Sometimes you just got to let it, you just got to let it go, you know, because we get offended by him too, you know, but we dialogue with him about it. We talk to him about it. God, this is really hard. God, I don't want to forgive. God, did you see what they did to me? And, and we talk to him about it. And in that dialogue, you know, we can, we can, some of us are good at dialoguing with other people, but there comes a point where we're spreading offense and not, and not trying to find healing for ourselves. We dialogue with the Lord and, and he helps lead us to healing. Third one is this. Offense leads to deception. Matthew 24. Talking to the disciples about the last days and what's coming, it says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold but he who endures to the end will be saved. Now, these are all some heavy scriptures. I'm kind of buzzing through these kind of quick, but the Lord Jesus is saying in the, in the last days, many are going to be offended. And, you know, it feels like the last days. I heard someone say once, it's your last days. <laughs> you know, whether it's the last days of the earth or not or whatever, you know, we're, we're, the second you get born and you're going through it, you know, we're, we're moving towards our last days here on this earth. But, um, but it's like a stairway, uh, offenses lead to betrayal, betrayal leads to hatred. And it says many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and I think the many are those who have been offended, are ripe for deception. Those who are offended. Offense is the breeding ground to become deceived. And if you find someone who's just been, they, they've had a hard time getting past the hurt, they believe some weird things. The opposite is true, not the opposite, but it's also true, look at it the other way, people who believe some weird things, you know, I've got some, some people I've talked to, and you talk to them, and they just tell you some crazy stuff that they believe about life. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, there's some strange things, you know, and we all have some strange beliefs, you know, we all have some weird things that we believe, but some people have conspiracy theories on top of conspiracy theories on top of conspiracy theories, you know, and usually the root of it is there's, a, there's an offense, that's not been forgiven. And deception entered in, and now their whole thinking, the, the wiring in their brain is all geared to deceit and things that aren't true. Um, a person who's been deceived usually believes with all their heart that they're right. So arguing really doesn't do a whole lot of good. It's usually getting to that root of the offense, brings some clarity and some freedom. Um, what, are, what are false prophets called by Jesus? What do you call false prophets? Wolves in sheep's clothing. Beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. He warned, Paul warned before he left uh, the church, he says that wolves are going to come and they're going to deceive many. And they're going to look like sheep. It's interesting, he didn't say they're going to look like shepherds. Although some wolves dress up like shepherds, I think. But it's look, watch out for the sheep. <laughs> and Wolves, what do they do? They travel in packs. 
and they try to isolate the sheep, and then they go after the sheep. And in this case, they try, they try to convert the sheep into a wolf. But if you can isolate the sheep from the, from the herd, then, then you've, got a, you've got a meal. And a lot of times what you feel is, you see is people who have been offended will travel in packs, and they're out looking for people that will take up their offense with them, because when you're offended, the more people that you can get offended and get on your side, the more empowered you feel. And the more people that agree with you, you feel more justified in carrying your offense. Just my microphone here. But they travel in packs. And then Jesus makes a statement. He says, lawlessness abounds, which will lead to people's love growing cold. And this is where it ties back into community. Lawlessness is not being submitted to the authority of God. And, and often in community, there's got to be this submission to each other and, and this submission has come in there. See, that's probably why he's crying, you know. <laughs> there's a submission to each other that needs to take place and submission to authority. And it's, we'll talk about authority sometime, but it's interesting. People, I've had tell people tell, tell me this before. They, they might be doing something in a church that's just really not healthy for the church. And I'll go to them and say, hey, this isn't, this isn't good. What you do in your personal life this is a, I'm referring to an instance a long time back. What you do in your personal life is up to you, but you're not going to do that here at our church because it's not healthy for people. And, uh, and, I, and I'd recommend that you not do this because you're going to lose your job over this, and you're gonna, you're gonna, this stuff's going to come, and it, and it all happened that way. And they looked at me and said, I'm under God's authority. I'm not under your authority. Oh, well, that's interesting. I've been your pastor for six years, you know. And, and, we, and we think that, well, I can submit to God's authority, not submit to human authority. But God puts human authorities in our lives to test us to see where our heart is. And most times, as we submit to the human authority, we're actually submitting to God's authority. We can't say, well, I'm going to do what God says, but I'm not going to do what you say. Well, God says, I put authority in your life to prove that, to see if, if you can't follow this guy or this girl who's your boss, how are you going to follow me? And you get into a work environment where the, you know, I have a lot of, I've had a lot of female bosses over the years, which is great. And you'll see people just tearing that lady down because she made a decision that was unpopular with the group at the water cooler. And they're, and they're, and they're, they're tearing her apart. And, then, and as a believer, you've got to be careful you don't get sucked into that because if you're not under, like for me, if I'm not under my boss's authority, how can I say I'm under God's authority? So human authority is put in our lives to, to prove if we can submit to God's authority. And that's hard because, you know, we're Americans. I'm, I want to be in charge. You know, the, the hero is the one who throws off authority and does what they want. You know, that's, that's, that's how the movies go. So we think, you know, the way to be a hero is, you know, I don't have to be under your authority. But the truth is, God puts human authority in our life to teach us how to submit so we can really be under God's authority. And it's hard. And lawlessness is a throwing off of authority. I don't have to do what you, what, what you tell me to do. Boss, parent, teacher. You know, it's, I, was a, I was a youth pastor for years, and there'd be kids who hated their parents and wouldn't do a thing their parents told them. And it's so funny, they'd come to me and I'd say, well, what are you doing after high school? Well, I'm going to join the military. You're playing right into the Lord's hand, man. You think, you think your parents are telling you what to do. You're going to get this authority thing before it's said and done. It's so funny, you know. But part of it says lawlessness will abound and people's love will grow cold, you know. Um, this is the thing that's hard about community is submitting to it. If you can't trust your community, uh, it's, it's going to be hard. Hebrews 12, 15 says this. Look after, look, I love this. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. It doesn't say look out for yourselves. Look out for yourself. No, look out for each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. The, fa the, the failure to receive the grace of God is a failure of community. Look out for each other. <laughs> okay, watch out for each other. Watch out for each other that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting a few. Is that what it says? Okay, corrupting many. Okay. That we have an obligation in, in our house, in our families, at our jobs, 
in real spiritual community, to, to watch out for each other so that no one fails from the grace of God, that no poisonous root, poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. How does a poisonous root grow up when we take up an offense? A poisonous root grows up and it troubles many. <laughs> We've got to look after each other so we don't become bitter and offended. And when someone wants to tell you how much that someone has hurt them, you need to talk them out of it. At work, at church, in your family. Hey, I, I know, you know you're feeling this thing. It's to, to you, it's a, it's a real hurt. It might be a real hurt. You're definitely feeling it as a real hurt. But if you just keep on taking this up and trumpeting this, a poisonous root is going to grow up in your heart, and, and it's going to be hard to get past this offense. And other people are going to be corrupted. That's how this thing works. We encourage people to forgive. It's a waste of time to hold on to an offense. <laughs> it's not going to solve their problems. It's going to make them worse. You know. Now, the, the danger is for us, if we don't do that, what they tell you gets in you, and you're just as offended as they are. At work, at church, at school, with a teacher. You know, we'd have teachers that, man, people just hated this teacher. I'd hear their reputation before I ever got in their class, and people just hate this teacher. And I got in there with an open mind. I thought, this person's pretty great. And one instance I found out this teacher everybody hated was a Christian and followed God, and she loved Jesus, and she was being demonized by the other students because of her belief and faith in Jesus. And, and she was just, she struggled because she had this reputation of just being a hateful, mean, horrible person. And I, she ended up being one of my favorite teachers in high school. Uh, but what happens is, someone's offended, they want to tell you about the offense, so you feel it with them, and then you take it up, and that offense actually gets stronger than, in you than it does in the person who's actually been hurt. And I've seen this happen where maybe that person who gets hurt gets other people offended, and that person who's hurt gets over it and forgives the person and even becomes friends with the person with the real or perceived hurt, but the, all the people that were offended secondhand don't get over it. Second-hand offense is almost harder than first-hand offense, and the first-handed victim gets past it, but the second-hand people don't. And it, it, it causes love to grow cold. That's what Jesus says, corrupting many. I've seen it affect entire churches in my lifetime. I've seen this happen in places. It happens all the time. The recipe is always exactly the same. Um, that's why it says the love of many will grow cold. Now, we look at the world... As you look at our world, do we see the love of people growing cold? Do we see people offended? We do. I mean, people are divided. People, their, their love is growing cold. Uh, lawlessness is abounding and cold love in our culture. But Jesus isn't talking about the world here. Or Paul in Hebrews, if he's the author, isn't talking about the world. He's talking about the church. When he says lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow cold, lawlessness is I can do whatever I want to, you're not the boss of me, word of God is not the boss of me, authority is not the boss of me, I can do whatever I want to, offense is abounding, love is, love is growing cold, and it's affecting the entire church. He's talking to believers because he says, he who endures to the end will be saved. He's not saying that to unbelievers. So we have, we have to know that offense leads to deception. And finally, when we take up offense, we stop growing. You can go to church seven days a week, four hours a day, and you're not going to grow because it blocks what God's wanting to do in our life. I'm gonna, I need to kind of skip, go past here a little bit. What's the answer? We've got to be good at showing mercy. Now, we have to deal with offenses and issues. When there's, when there's a real offense that happens or something, something hurtful happens in a church or at work or something, sometimes we have to deal with it. I'm not saying we don't deal with it, but we have to be good at showing mercy and, and forgiving people. If it's happened to us, we've got we to be quick to let it go and not carry it around or there's going to be a bitter root. You know, when we're offended, we hold on to the hurt, we rehearse it. I've done this. You replay it in your mind over and over and over and over again to remind yourself how you're supposed to feel. And if there's a chance to strike back, you want to strike back with some passion. So we want to keep that offense hot. <laughs> yeah, you ever been there? You know, and, and I'll catch myself, you know, I'm a little obsessive with my thinking. That's something I struggle with. Um, 
So I have, to, I have to break myself out of habits of thinking about offenses done to me. Otherwise, I'm rehearsing it, and it's affecting my mind and my spirit and my, and my heart. I can't keep fresh anger alive over this hurt. Attorneys will tell you the most vicious cases are divorce cases. When I was in, high, in college, two of my friends got married that shouldn't have got married. It lasted about six months. It ended with an affair and a bitter divorce case. And I, rem- I just wanted to support them both. I'd never been to court before. I'd never definitely been to a divorce court. And I'll tell you, I was shocked. <laughs> I was sitting there, and before my friends even got up, there was an older couple, probably in their 60s, that had been married, and they were divorcing. And it was one of the most vicious bitter, spiteful things I have ever seen before or since. It's been 40 years. I still remember it. The, the level of vitriol was shocking because there was offense in that relationship and they hated each other. And they were, I mean, one guy, he, he took all the credit cards in the family that she was, her name was on it to, to pay for his attorneys. I mean, they just did anything they could to, to stick it to each other because the fence was real and the bitterness was real. You know, fortunately, if anyone had a right not to forgive us for offenses that we've caused, it's the Lord Jesus. <laughs> and he doesn't do this. He forgives. <laughs> you know, he forgives and forgets, which is a hard, hard thing to, to remember and do. I heard a story about a, a, a priest in the Philippines who had a lady in his church that said that she heard from the Lord and she would have dreams where God would come to her and tell her things and she'd ask him questions. And He had done something in college, in Bible school, that he had regretted and didn't know how to deal with it and he never really felt forgiven. So he thought, I'm going to test this lady, see if she's real or not. So he said, uh, hey, I, I want to see if you're for real or not. I want you to do something for me. She said, okay. He says, when, when, when Jesus comes to you and, and talks to you, I want you to ask him, what did your priest do in college? What sin did your priest commit in college? And she agreed. She said, okay. So a few days later, he saw her and he asked, and he said, uh, did God visit you in your dreams? And uh, she said, yes. She, he said, uh, did you ask her what sin I committed in college? She said, yes. Well, what did he say? And she said, uh, he says he forgot. He says he forgot. Isn't that good for us that God removes our sin as far as the East is? From the West. He forgives our sins and our transgressions. He gives us a clean slate. And we can get excited about that for ourselves and for other people because he can do it for them too. Our goal is to be people who are not easily offended. We all get offended. My goal for myself, I want to be someone, man, you've got to do something really, really bad to me before I'm going to get offended by what you do to me. So we've got to be really horrible. I had a friend, it's so funny. She, we've been friends for years, and she used to do something I thought was funny. When somebody would insult her or ignore her or say something bad about her or do something to her, she'd go stand in front of the mirror, and she'd say, I am not easily offended. I'm not easily offended. I am not easily offended. And she'd look at herself in the mirror and she would repeat that over and over and over again. I am not easily offended. That's who we got to be. We got to be people. We are slow to offense. We are quick to forgive and, and let things go. I think we, when we do this, it's going to give us a lift. You know, airplanes flying into the wind. I was in um, Southern California and there were some Santa Ana winds that grounded some flights. But you know, these planes would take off right into the wind. And that, op- that opposing wind that would come in their life would just give them lift and bring them up. I've heard that in New Zealand, almost half the birds don't fly because there's no natural predators. There's no, there's no offense that comes. And as a result, they're grounded. God can use everything in our lives, even when people offend you, to make you better, to make you closer to Him. And if we, if we respond properly, it gives us a lift in our prayer life and in other ways. Number two, it gives God a chance to fight for us. Romans 12 says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Sometimes it's a two-way street, you know. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Our goal is to stay sweet and soft 
Uh, not to defend ourselves, let God deal with the, with the person, you know. There's been times in my life, and I've been, um, th- there's been times where a lot of employers in my life have, I, I feel like I've gotten a short end of the stick at times, let's put, let me say it that way. Pastoral church employment and uh, secular employment. And I, I want to tell you, every time I've come out better. Every time I've come out better. There was once where I was making 30000 a year, and after it all went through, and I felt like I was grossly taken advantage of and, and cheated, and I was making 90000 by the end of the year. My salary tripled. And I, I remember the Holy Spirit coming to me and just saying, because I was struggling with forgiveness, and I was rehearsing the, the, the hate, and I was telling people about what had happened to me because it was a gross miscarriage of justice, you know, and I was a wolf trying to grow my herd a little bit. And the Lord came to me and, and said, uh, Greg, you want to deal with this, or do you want me to deal with it? And I'm like, I want you to deal with it, sir. <laughs> you know, always sir. <laughs> sir, you can deal with it, you know. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Don't, don't be a person who takes revenge. Don't try to get them back. Don't celebrate when they fall or when they make mistakes. We have to truly love people want them to succeed. We can pray for some repentance. You know, I used to think, you know, what's that day going to be like when everyone who has hurt me or damaged me is going to get what's coming to them? Then I had this realization. Oh, wait a minute. What about all the people that I've hurt? What about the people that feel like I've damaged them and hurt them? You know, I think in a lot of ways it's not going to matter. One thing I love about the Lord's judgment is it's always redemptive. He's trying to take us all to a better place if we've done the harm or received the harm. But we commit ourselves to God's justice. And then finally, the last one is this. Uh, if we can forgive, it'll stir up love for our community. First Peter 4.8, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. One of the privileges we have as followers of the Lord Jesus is when other people are pointing out a sin or they are magnifying a sin, we get to cover a sin. When, other, when people are saying horrible things about government leaders, we get to entrust them to the Lord. Of course, we do our part through voting and different things, but we get to trust in the Lord and do things God's way. We learn to become people that guard other people's mistakes with our mouths. And it's hard. I'd say especially this is true with employers. So, and teachers, it could be so easy just to roast somebody that we've never met or hardly have any interaction with because we've heard things. And we don't know if it's true or not. A lot of times it's not. And even if it is, we have the privilege of covering sins for people. And, and it's awesome. Uh, I heard Joyce Myers talking this week, and she said, we've got to pray that we, that we can do things for people as much as we can. That when um, you're in, in prayer group and Mabel says, I need $100 to pay my rent that uh, we don't say, well, God, help her pay her rent. We open up our wallets and we give, we give Mabel $100. <laughs> that as, as we go, we got to do what we can to help people and trust God to, to meet our needs. Galatians 6.10, so then while we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith, especially those in our community. Number two, don't keep a list of offenses, physical or mental. Now, there might be some of you that have a list in your mind of things that a certain person has done to you. Maybe it's a growing list. Maybe you got a list of what, you know, a parent. Um, I would, I've, I had, I've had people before come to me with a list, and they've given me a list of all the things I've done to offend them for the last 40 years. <laughs> Literally had it handed to me, <laughs> you know. And probably some of it, yeah, I could see that. Other parts are like, I have no idea what you're talking about here. You know, a literal list. But we keep mental lists, and we've we, we got to lay those lists down. We've got to tear those up. I had someone come to me this year and give me a list of everything that I've done to run people out of our church and hurt people. It was a list. And I'm thinking, well, okay. But when you're a list keeper of those things, it's bad for you. You know, I want to be the best I can be, and I don't mind challenges because it's good for me. You know, but if we're keeping lists of people's offenses, what level of bitterness does there have to be that we can just, we can just rattle them off? 
Boom, 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 boom. You did this to this person, this to this person, this to this person, this to this person. And half of it, they had absolutely no idea what was going on anyway. But when you got a list like that, you've been rehearsing the list, and you've been holding on to it, and this is not good for us. Proverbs 19.10, a person's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It is his glory to overlook an offense. Glory means that the, the, the weight, the magnificent excellence, presence of God, and it's an honor when we overlook an offense, we magnify the Lord. We magnify him and we lift him up. Jesus told Peter in Matthew 18, it's not about keeping score. It's about forgiving. It's about losing count. When your brother offends you seven times, you know, 77 times, forgive them. So I guess that's the, that's the real bottom line for us as I close today. Keep forgiving. Keep forgiving. Amen. Love your enemies. You know, be smart. If, someone, if I, someone has the potential to hurt me, I'm going to be smart about it. I'm not going to go and just make myself vulnerable unnecessarily. I'm not saying put yourself in a dangerous situation. I'm saying keep forgiving, keep loving our enemies. We do that over and over and over. And I want to be a house of miracles where God does amazing things in here. But you know what's going to catch people's attention? I like the light of what you said about Jack and Debbie. They have a different spirit. When we forgive people and love people who have hurt us, that's going to be what catches people's attention. Because that is supernatural. It is not natural. We can be people that harbor grudges, and we can be mad at our parents and bosses and employers and friends, and we can have a list. But when you can lay that down at his feet and say, God, do not punish them anymore. I want you to love them, and I want you to reach them and restore them. I want you to bless them. And I remove myself from all responsibility. I don't wish anything bad. I'm going to quit rehearsing the offense. I'm going to love them. We're going to see God move (laughs) in our community and in our personal lives at a level that we've never seen before. Hating your enemies is natural. Holding on to an offense is natural. Forgiving an offense, loving your enemies is supernatural. And we are a supernatural people. Imagine your life as you can just walk through life and forgive people who have hurt you. Imagine your life free of offense, nothing to rehearse in your mind because you've laid it aside. Like, oh, I have, that person's name comes up. I haven't thought about them for years because I forgot, I, I stopped rehearsing that offense years ago. Come around the grocery store corner in the frozen food section and here comes that person that makes, used to put a, a feeling in your stomach and you, and you feel nothing but love. <laughs> That's our goal. That's our goal. That's good for us. So my, and imagine our community as we do it, we all do it together. (laughs) Um, Are you harboring offense today? Are you holding on to offense? Have you taken the bait? And is there something in your life, and this is a process, and and I bring myself through this all the time as well. Are you holding on to an offense, or are you walking in forgiveness? Is there somebody you need to entrust to the Lord? God, You said, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. Lord, you know exactly what that person leaves. I lay it down at your feet. God, you do what's best. Bless them. Lord, I love them. I want your best for them. That's the Lord. That's what we do. Is there anybody or any offense that you're holding on to? My my only suggestion this morning is this. Dialogue with the Lord about it. Bring it up to him. God, I I, want to be free from bitterness. I'm holding offense against this person. God, number one, you know what really happened. You know all the details, probably even more than I do. But Lord, you know what that person needs. And turn them over to the Lord. Let's, let's do that together. Let's just take a moment. And I know, I know one moment in church is not going to necessarily bring every change that needs to happen. But it's going to start the process for us today. And if there's someone in your life that's hurt you, that you can, you can make the step of forgiving them right now. Just, just Lord, I forgive them right now. I know I've got to work through the emotion and thoughts and a bunch of things, but Lord, I make the choice to forgive them right now. I believe it will bring some freedom and it will help us. Let's pray. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we we invite your presence right now just in this area of forgiveness and offense. Lord, if there's anyone um, that we've been holding on to an offense, Lord, something they've done to us or we think they've done to us,
Lord, would you just shine your light on that right now? Any, anything that's a stumbling block for us, anything that's, that's a, a problem for us. Mom or dad, employer, anybody. Lord, would you just shine a light on this for us? Lord, we want to be people that forgive quickly like you do. We want to remove people's sins as far as the east is from the west. We want to forgive and forget the best we can. So Holy Spirit, we just say yes to you. Lord, lead us on this, on this process of forgiving people. And Lord, help us to be like you. Help us to be like you, Lord. We love you today and we thank you. I pray for anybody right now there's been some real hurt and real abuse. There's been some real offense that's happened in their life. That Holy Spirit, that you would just rest on them right now. And just lead them to forgiveness. Lord, a forgiveness that eventually they can feel it and they can truly be free, Lord. And that the enemy will not have a victory in their life. Lord, I thank you that it's a, it's a time for breakthrough. You're bringing breakthrough into our persons, into our church, into our families. Lord, we pray for more. Keep doing it, God. Keep bringing more breakthrough. Keep bringing more forgiveness, more favor, more of your blessing. Lord, we, we celebrate who you are and what you're doing in our lives. God, we need you. Keep forming us. And Lord, we love you today. We love what you're doing in our lives. We are people of forgiveness. We are people who do not take up offense. We are people who are hard to, uh, hard to offend by the grace of God. And we thank you for all you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.